Are you ready to jam? Oh, yeah. At Genzabar Jam, Genzabar's annual meeting for users in Orlando, Florida, 2023 at the Gaylord Palms Resort. We're going to learn, share, and connect. You can register today at jam.genzabar.com. Ready to revolutionize your higher ed marketing game? Yes! Well, then don't miss out on Element 451's Engage Summit, June 27 and 28. Explore the cutting-edge world of education and AI technology and unleash your creativity like never before. Register today at engage.element451.com and use promo code EDUP50 for $50 off. Welcome back, everybody. It's your time to add up on the Ed Up Experience podcast, where we make education your business. Dr. Joe Salucio back on another episode, and we're going to keep talking to amazing leaders. Uh, I've got an amazing leader today from community colleges, and I want to just uh, soapbox here for a minute about community colleges. I was watching, um, gosh, I was watching some clip about higher education, and it was these two guys on um uh, uh what's that show with bill maher i can't remember it's on hbo and bill maher does his thing and he's got these two guests and they're talking about college and he says bill maher says something like what's going on in college um it used to be run by the faculty and now it's just all these administrators and none of them do anything and they just sit around you know and then they give some stats about how i think of course of course when we talk about college the only ones we talk about are harvard and stanford those are the two call outs that they gave and you know of course there's many more administrators now than there used to be and you know administrators are taking over and nobody does anything and and uh, you know this, this guy i can't remember where he's from but he comes on and he talks about the problem uh, of course because of a lack of tenure and this is what he calls out because of a lack of tenure and faculty that somehow has something to do with um, consumerism in higher education, which of course, those are completely unrelated topics. But they were talking about this administrative bloat. And I thought to myself, while I was listening, I'm going, boy, isn't higher ed just a little bit different, though? Not that not that I'm in favor of administrative bloat, but you have um, mental health centers, you have food pantries, and when none, no, nobody asked to run food pantries on a campus, by the way. We just have to do that because we have students with insecurities. You have legal issues. You have a regulatory environment in higher education and it continues to expand, both state and federal. You have technology now. You, you know, our faculty, tenured faculty, are not going to be running technology. They're gonna be using the technology. So how do we keep adding in technology? Well, you need people to run it. And you just start to look at all the things that have been added into what it means to go to higher education or get a higher education and it explains some of the expansion of administration because you have to manage all of these things. Uh, now, I'm not saying that management needs to be um, so much more uh, than it needs to be, right? Because you have to maintain a quick balance, but using Harvard and Stanford as a barometer for what's going on in higher education makes absolutely no sense, nor will it ever, at least on this podcast, uh, because they got a lot of money. They can hire as many administrators as they want. Nobody will ever stink and care about it. Mm -hmm. um, and the real work, in my opinion, is done at the smaller universities, at the smaller colleges, at the community colleges. And if you want to talk about community colleges in particular, you have to talk about a range of services that they have to offer now that have absolutely nothing to do with higher education. There are higher ed 
higher ed adjacent things like food pantries and mental health services. And now we have counsel, we, we're like uh, counselors for students, not just people who enroll them in higher education. And I, now that my monologue is over, I'm gonna bring in my guest who's gonna tell us whether I'm right or I'm wrong. Here he is, ladies and gentlemen. He is Dr. Mark Sanchez, the president superintendent at Southwestern Community College District. Mark, how are you? I'm good, I'm good. Thank you for having me, it's great to be here. I'm glad to have you, and I don't actually do monologues on this podcast, but boy, that got on my skin the other day when I was watching that clip, because I'm going, why do we keep using these same institutions with billions of dollars as an example for something that's going on in higher ed? It makes no sense, does it? Well, you know, and, and I think in your monologue, you hit on some, some really key points. And so you talked a lot about the basic services, the basic need services that are available to students like food pantries, mental health supports, um, access to um, uh, health services, which is a, a big um, service on our campus. And so what we've found, and, and there's a lot of research out there that supports this, that if you're not meeting those needs of your students, it's going to be very hard to keep them engaged in an academic environment focused True. on their academic coursework. So so I think the research is, is abundantly clear, and, and we're also open access institutions, so we accept every student that completes uh, an enrollment application, unlike uh, Harvard and Stanford with not taking away anything from their, um, their pedigree and their prestigious histories in higher education, but we allow anyone who wants access to a higher education to enroll, enroll at our college. So, um, and, and the administrative blow and the terminology that you used, um, I think it's important because as we're trying to re-engage our communities to bring uh, our communities back to higher education as, as we've emerged from the pandemic, you're right, faculty are really focused on the teaching in the classroom. Uh, they're focused on student learning, but they're not really going to get involved with all of those administrative requirements and marketing and how we work with our high schools how we work with our, with our community-based organizations to create employers. a pathway, both yeah. employers to create pathways for for our students to enroll. That's just really not their role. But I think we we do have to be cognizant of what our overall workforce at our college looks like, and if we're being efficient in running the organization. So it comes with all of those things. But I so I thought I thought your monologue was right on point. Well, I appreciate you for saying that, and and I want you to open up and tell us about. Southwestern Community College District is a, is a starting point. Just imagine we had somebody here that hadn't come into, uh, hadn't experienced it or know about it. Where are you? What do you do? How do you do it? Yeah, fantastic. So Southwestern College is a comprehensive community college. We're an open access institution. We are um, in South San Diego County. We are uh, approximately six miles from the San Isidro Tijuana Port of Entry. Um, it's the busiest border crossing in the world, and um, it's the biggest so, border crossing in the world. In the world, yeah. And so, in terms of number of people that cross back and forth every day, and and so, the fact that we're six six miles from the U.S. Mexico border makes us a very unique binational community college. Um, on average, about 16% of our student enrollment comes from students who live on the other side of the border because it's, it's just it's more affordable to live just on the other side of, of the border. For example, based on a recent uh, study, one-bedroom apartments in San Diego County go for approximately $2,300 a month. Six to seven miles away in Tijuana, 
you can get a one bedroom apartment for five to six hundred dollars. Mm. Now you've got to deal with the border crossing every day, but people are going to do what they need to do to be able to to afford to live. And so certainly just the other side, just on the other side of the border is a very attractive uh, option for many in our community. So in addition to our Chula Vista campus, we also have four higher ed centers. We have a higher education center in Otay Mesa. We have a higher education center in San Isidro. We have a higher education center in National City. And then we have an aquatic center out at Crown Cove in Coronado, um, Coronado, Coronado Island. Island. Yes. Well, that's not so a bad scene over there. It's not a bad scene at all. And, you know, it meets a really nice niche because if someone wants to rent a paddleboard or a surfboard or um, uh, a boat, they have the option to rent that at our facility in Coronado. So we're, we're a pretty comprehensive community college that serves a, a broad range of our needs in our community and our, and our Otay Mesa Higher Ed Center. That's really where our fire safety, our EMT, our police academy, a lot of our career-focused programs are delivered. And San Isidro, this, this is an interesting uh, historical note. So our San Isidro Higher Education Center is just over a mile from the Tijuana-San uh, Isidro border. But that higher ed center actually sits on the land of the, one of the first mass shootings in the United States. In 1984, a gunman went into a McDonald's um, where, where the higher education center sits now and shot up 23 people, killed 23 people, injured about 17 others. And that uh, documentary is actually um, featured on Prime Video. It's called 77 Minutes. Wow. Um, but what happened at that McDonald's after that happened is McDonald's leveled the restaurant, donated the land to the city of San Diego. And then the city of San Diego uh, proceeded with donating the land to Southwestern College. So we've been able to create hope out of um, a location that was um, that still impacts the community today. There, there are survivors who will show up every anniversary in July, and there's a memorial at the Higher Ed Center, and they'll show up uh, to pay their respects to what happened that day. Wow. But now, now we educate the community in that portion of our. Um, of our of our service area and creating opportunities for people to get their degrees certificates uh, workforce credentials or general ed courses so so our our um our college district is really in tune with the community that we serve amazing what a great story yeah that's a great story something negative turned into something positive yeah community colleges um in general represent something positive for um, for the U.S., for pathways to education, like you said, open access, you're you're unique in that because of where you are geographically. You you I'm sure you have a lot of you. You talked about a lot of Latino students, Latino and Latina students. You probably have um, you have uh, bilingual uh, courses and staff. We do to ensure you can serve we do. Your students. Yes, yes. Um, you have students coming from Mexico across the border. To class, to, to going through a border to get to class, it's like you just think about that for a second. Like none of us will ever, or most of us will never have any experience quite like that. What is that like in, in times of, you know, what happens when there's something that happens in the US? Is it harder to get across the border? And then not, therefore it's, you know what I mean? There's so many questions I have for you. So let's start there. Talk about the journey of the, the mix of students and how you have to serve them differently and how your infrastructure is built. Yeah, so so 
I, I touched on the binational identity because it's an important part of of our of our community. And so we've recently just surveyed our students who live on the other side of the border and the wait times for them to get across uh, are on average three to four hours each way. Nice. Yeah. So, but what that illustrates to me is it illustrates a tremendous commitment for people who want to get a higher education. They want to access what we have to offer and they'll do what it takes to, to do it. If it means waiting in, in, a, in a line to cross the, the border three to four hours a day, they'll do it. And I think what, what people are in tune with, they're in tune with what the industry needs are in our region. We have a lot of bioengineering. We have a large bioengineering sec sector in San Diego County. We also have uh, computer technology. Apple just purchased additional acreage in our North County area for $400 million last April. So there's a large chip technology um, uh, sector in, in San Diego County. There's also healthcare, uh, tremendous amount of law enforcement opportunities. And so people want to be able to access those opportunities because it's going to help increase their social and economic trajectory and being able to afford to live in this very expensive region of California. And what I believe this binational component is a byproduct of is really San Diego's inability to create affordable housing at the rate that it needed to to meet the community's needs. So Again, that $2,300 base price for a one bedroom in San Diego County, you can get a good apartment for five to $600 just on the other side of the border. That phenomena exists because we've been able to meet the affordable housing needs of our residents in San Diego County. And so, so it, it's certainly for us important to understand that as an educational institution. And then how do we meet the pathways and the needs for our employers and in our industries in this region by creating the, the broadest pool of educated workforce that that we can and so so it's very it's an important very important pathway for us to do this work and understand why we're doing it what is the how does that play out at the state like at the state representatives and legislature to, for them to, they must know that there are people who, and this probably goes beyond higher education, other industries, who are getting living, their living quarters and situations on, you know, in Mexico on the other side of the border because California is so unaffordable. Yeah. As somebody who just, and I give mad, you know, mad respect to people who live in California because it is, uh, look, if you haven't lived there, it's harder. Everything seems to cost more money yes. and, and, and people make it and that's fine. But if you're, um, in a situation where you're not economically strong, it's very hard to get ahead. But people, they keep working on it in California, and it must play out in the state somehow, somewhere. Somebody going, why? Are, how can we let people live, you know, here in Mexico and come across the border? We want them here, but we can't make it happen. It must be a conversational topic, right? As how does that play out? Yeah, I think, I mean, the state, at least in its current iteration, um, and we have a lot of representatives from San Diego County up in the state legislatures as assembly members, as senators. And so a lot of their legislative priorities in Sacramento are very much designed on the things that I just outlined with affordable housing being one of those. As a matter of fact, uh, last year, the state legislator, legislature made a lot of funding available for affordable housing um, at community colleges, on the CSUs, and at the UCs. 
epic. And so certainly what we're trying, we submitted one of the construction grants to, to access some of that funding and we're in the queue. If we're able to get that funding, we would have an $81 million project that would provide um, 420 units, um, du double occupancy, so dorm style where you, you would share a room would, would go for $673 a month. And a single occupancy, a studio would go for $800 a month. So we come in below, significantly below market value for rentals. Yeah. And so I think the state through their legislative priorities focusing on trying to create solutions, we just can't do it fast enough. And that's ultimately what, what the challenge is. Show me the money! We need that funding. We need that funding for those things. That's what we need. It's um, huge. Go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say when, when we survey our students, one of the biggest things that comes up on their ability to either remain enrolled in college or to enroll in college is being able to access affordable housing. And, and so when you look at it fundamentally, if a person has to make a decision between trying to afford to live and attending college, oftentimes many of our students will choose working two to three jobs over taking college coursework. Um, and so if we can remove that that barrier to our community's involvement in higher education, I think we'll be better poised to strengthen our enrollment um, at our colleges. You know, I think that's exactly what gets under my skin when we talk, you know, one of the, one of the fundamental flaws we have as a society is that when we think higher ed, we think Ivy and bricks. And the reality of the situation is I think the Ivies have about 2% of the overall enrolled population in the United States for students. And when you're talking about food insecurity and living insecurities, probably not as big of an issue there as it would be in, in America's community colleges or small private colleges or those that are specialty based. And so when you think about the conversation that we have around higher ed of access and affordability and, you know, the administration it takes to administer something like that there's just more effort that goes into it when you, when you how do you keep a student who has food insecurity from leaving college when what, what they're thinking about is either i have to eat or i have to pay my bill sometimes that's a i mean for the student it's like an easy decision i have to eat i have to feed my family and so you have more stopouts retention is harder and i talk about this all the time on the podcast retention in a school that where you know your EFC, your financial aid uh, uh, score says that students can afford the education and have the money to do it versus students who have a low AFC and, and need more funding, the retention is a, a different. How do you train or talk about retention on your campus, particularly because you're dealing with something, I, I mean, just a student going back and forth across the border, like that's an entire retention conversation. How, yes. how do you? Right. Oh, that three hours was too much yesterday. I don't think I can go to school anymore. And then you would have some retention challenges just in the states of students not coming back to college or having affordability issues because the state of California is expensive. Can you talk about how you how you, I don't know, manifest good retention when you're dealing with so many different student types and situations? Yeah, so it's it's a critical conversation, especially as California community colleges are moving away from simply being funded based on our, our enrollment to now embedding uh, success metrics into um, our student-centered funding formula. So now not only is it enrollment, it's also how many students are we getting to Pell eligibility? 
and how many students are we getting into transfer degree or certificate completion and so there's an account accountability measure there's an accountability measure now in our funding formula which i think is a good thing so the whole conversation around retention and how we're serving students i, I loved how you started with with the ivy league schools and of course when we look at Ivy League schools and we look at the students who actually get accepted into them, you you look at a certain demographic and it's going to be students who uh, who have access to um, top quality um, K through 12 institutions, took advantage of early childhood education programs, have parents that are college educated so they understand the system. They've created and are in good socioeconomic condition to be able to provide the resources for their children to access that education. That's a fantastic thing, and I'm I certainly advocate for that. At the community college level, what we have to do is we have to we have to replicate the systems for students who don't have access to good higher ed, uh, good K through 12 education, who maybe didn't have the resources to access early childhood education and create the pathways for our K through 12 students to enroll in here. So when you look at the data and we're very we're a very data driven college in our service area we have some high schools and this is data provided by our high school districts we have some high schools where 30 to 40% of their graduating seniors don't go to any college trade school university once they graduate from high school. I think that's, I think that's a huge indicator of the socioeconomic challenges that many in our community face, and they're often having to to choose between work, survival, or college or a college education. And so, what we've been focused on over the last couple of years, while I've been superintendent president, is to really try to embed ourselves early into the the child's experience. So we've partnered with our our high school districts to look at those high schools that have that that rate where 30 to 40% of their students aren't going anywhere and start embedding our college courses into their high school curriculum. And what that's beginning to do is it's starting to create students who are now graduating from high school and have 10, 15, 20 college units under their belt already. So it increases the likelihood of them enrolling into the community college to finish what they started. Nailed it. And they also understand the system and expectations of higher education so they're better prepared to come onto our campus and be successful and they're halfway complete with the goal so we're able to support them in their retention they know the system they know our faculty they know our staff who've been serving them since they've been in high school and really being intentional about creating those onboarding or those pathways that help streamline their ability to complete a college degree but we have to know who we're working with and so our high school partners have been very good about providing data to us around where we can help meet their needs. Excellent. It's time to jam. Oh, yeah. At Genzabar Jam, Genzabar's annual meeting, May 31st through June 3rd, Jam is the annual meeting for the Genzabar community. Engage with Genzabar product experts and executives, share ideas, insights, and information with your peers. It's time to jam. Oh, yeah. You can register now at jam.genzabar.com. Don't settle for average marketing strategies. Join us at the Element 451 Engage Summit, June 27 and 28, and discover how to harness the power of AI technology in higher ed marketing, connect with industry leaders, explore cutting-edge technologies, and future-proof your marketing strategy. Use promo code EDUP50 
for $50 off. Register now at engage.element451.com. You know, I think one missing point, too, when you talk about, uh, we go and we talk about some, uh, a student, really, at, at, but if you're an 18-year-old, I guess that's where, you know, an 18-year-old traditional student, and your parents went to college, and they readied you to go to college, and their parents, maybe they went to college. You're talking about two or three generations of experience, possibly with the college system, or more, in fact. Um, when you're dealing with many students on a community college campus, you're starting that now for two to three generations in the future. Perhaps this person that gets their degree to community college goes on, gets a four year, might be the first one in their family. They do well economically, maybe better than their parents ever thought they would be. And the next time somebody experiences college, it's their child and maybe they go to a different university or so, but it takes time and yes. the time and the effort we're putting in now is what is preparing the next generation for the college experience. But now, you know this Mark, people are going, is it worth it? Is it worth it to go to college? Shouldn't I just go get a job somewhere? You know, so-and-so over here is telling me I can be a social media influencer. Elon Musk is telling me I don't need a college degree to work anywhere. Maybe, maybe I can just get this skill and I'm going to be magically employable wherever I work for the next 50 years. I think in reality, it's proving that that is not the case. We need to upskill and reskill to keep ourselves open to opportunity. I still am somebody that goes, boy, if I'm going for a job, I want a degree because that might be the thing that gets me the job if everybody else has the same skills. What are students saying right now? What are these community college students saying? Your your uh, binational campus community. Do they do you feeling the pain on the lack of trust or the lack of value in degree, or are you seeing students still interested? I, I think there's a narrative out there. It's interesting. Just this weekend, I was watching um, uh, streaming television. And there's a mess. There's messaging out there that says ditch the degree, and it's really mm. it's really for employers to look at other skill sets that may contribute to a person's viability in the workforce rather than just a college education. So, so there are, there are marketing campaigns out there, even telling our community that I think where the, where I see my role in educating our community in every venue I go to is really talking about the statistics that have been provided to us by our workforce, by our industries in this region. And um, last April, the San Diego Regional Economic Development Corporation finished this comprehensive study, and it was basically a survey of businesses and industries in San Diego County. And what they found in that was that 84% of the employers identified that the jobs that are coming online now through the year 2030 are specialized and really require some type of degree, certificate, or credential in order to be employable in those industries. So when you look at the industries in this region, it makes sense. I talked earlier about there being a, a significant biotechnology hub. Uh, we have computer information systems. We have um, healthcare. Um, we have uh, public safety, law enforcement. We have EMT. So all of those um, industries require specialized knowledge, specialized training. So this whole narrative that you know, I can do this online or I don't really need those. It, it just, it's not matching up with the industry needs. And so that's really what I see my role in is being able to communicate why a college degree or, or college certificate or credential is as, as important as it's ever been. Message delivered. Yeah, we got it. And I like it. I like what you're saying. And, and uh, 
boy, that, that conversation is really interesting because I think, and you tell me what you think, but I, I think that it leans more negatively to people of color, BIPOC populations, right? Because um, if you've got a degree, and I imagine myself, and I'm probably not a good example, but I went and got my doctorate degree just like you, got two kids, and I turn around and I go, I guess if I look at my kids and I go, you know what, you shouldn't go to college. You know, I work in the industry, I have reason, I talk to amazing leaders like you, I've, I've collected this data over talking to 200 people, you know, 200 presidents, and I would have some justif justified arguments maybe why I would tell my kids not to go to college. Most people aren't like that, that would be talking to their kids about college. They haven't interviewed 200 college presidents or work in the industry and have, they're just going by what somebody said somewhere and now I'm turning to a population of students, a BIPOC population, students from lower income communities and saying, don't go to college. Generational wealth is hurt by that, possibly. The pathways are less clear and the message, there's not as much uh, uh, communication around why college that's as powerful as why not college right now. That's frankly why I do these conversations now. It turned into started with, let me interview Dr. Mark Sanchez, because I'm sure he's a great dude, and I want to talk to presidents, and so on and so on. We had all these people on, and then it was like, we got to fight back just a little bit. We got to fight. We, we have to be able to tell our communities, like, there is still value in a degree. But it does lean more negatively on those that are experiencing college for the first time, because they don't know any different, right? That's right. And, you know, I, I think oftentimes we, we talk about um, a college and a college degree as it relates to uh, someone's socioeconomic mobility. But there's a whole other component. And I'll tell you, um, for me, college was also an opportunity to, to really learn about literature, to learn about the culture and the arts, to learn historical perspective. And so there was a whole other set of, of learning um, learning that occurred as a part of my post-secondary experience. And, and those experiences I carry with me today. I'm a huge fan of the theater. Uh, as a matter of fact, my wife and I, when we were in New York recently, went to a Broadway show. And so under, you know, understanding how the culture and the arts apply to um, a lifestyle of understanding and, and education, it, your, your education and your learning always comes with you. So the value of experience or the value of education, particularly college or university education, is so much more than um, socioeconomic mobility, which we know is clear when someone has a college degree, their propensity to earn more over the lifetime of working is much higher, but there's so much more that comes with it. There's a richness that comes with it through personal development that you'll always carry with you as a part of a college experience. I think the part that we have to demystify is this whole thing about student loans and getting into debt, which I think oftentimes is what a student's apprehension is, not understanding that there's a whole bunch of free resources available to them, especially if you're from a first generation or a student of color background, there are so many free resources to subsidize your education that I don't think we've done a good enough job. I'm talking about higher ed in general and hasn't done a good enough job messaging that there's resources that can help you subsidize your college education. That's a fact. That's a fact. You like those, right? I mean, I, I got, I got all sorts of those. <laughs> well, um, the interesting part about what you just said, affordability, is 
we typically also, I say we, I think the general public, when we say go to college, and, you, and I'm on LinkedIn a lot, and I see these arguments around, you know, college costs too much, the cost of college has gone up more than the rate of inflation, all those things, true, absolutely. College is unaffordable for most. But how you decide to go to college determines the affordability factor. You can choose to go to a school that we've talked about on this uh, podcast and we just said in the, uh, on this episode that Ivy League or a, a private and for four years and and it costs more it costs a lot and you can choose to go there and take on that debt if there's debt for you to take on but if you chose that it's hard to complain about it that's why I always go how do you complain if you go to a community college and you transfer your degree and you get your degree and you transfer your credit to a public college the affordability factor is much different and so there's a how piece that we don't discuss that much, right? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, one of the things I talk to students about all the time is there's financial aid, but there's a tr tremendous amount of scholarships that go un unclaimed every year. I mean, scholarships from everything from being a good, good in automotive to being good in math to being a, a woman to being an LGBTQ student, to being a, a person of color student. There's just, there's a whole, being Native American, there's special scholarships for being a Native American student. So there's so many resources that are untapped that can help someone pay for their college education and even help with, with living expenses. And I think it's important for people to know that, yes, some people do get into debt um, in higher education, but there are ways to have your education fully subsidized and paid for um, just by who you are and what your interests are and how you're gonna contribute to the workforce um, that we don't often talk about enough uh, to help students make an informed decision. Mark, I gotta ask you a personal question here. Um, you ready? Live yeah. here on air? All right. yes. Your report came out recently that just talked about being a college president and that primarily still white men occupy most posts within uh, uh, higher education at the presidential level. There wasn't as much of an uptick in female or um, uh, uh, people of color uh, presidential opportunities. What does it mean to you to craft, train, mentor um, future leaders to serve a multicultural majority that I think many, many leaders are not prepared to serve right now? And we talk about that. Um, a lot here that the, the, the typical student is becoming atypical and how do you serve them? Um, what do you do to train the future leaders of, of higher education since you have the opportunity to be president? Yeah, you have to invest in uh, the next generation of leaders. It's something I take very, very seriously. Um, I'm in my third year and um, about 24th year in higher education and so even in my own personal profile, I don't have a long time to be in this position before I retire. So, so succession planning, planning, uh, preparing the next generation. As a matter of fact, I was on a Zoom call this morning for a colleague up in Northern California who's preparing to interview for a vice president of student services position, and she's currently a dean. So I think wherever there's opportunity to share um, what it takes to be in, in the job. Um, one of the things that I talk about often with people that I'm preparing for leadership is now more than ever, 
we need people in the presidential seat who are going to be bold leaders. Um, Nailed it. They're not going to be leaders who make decisions based on uh, what's the path to least resistance, where am I going to get the least kickback. We have to push an agenda uh, that's critical in serving our communities, that's, that's data-informed, that's strategic. And oftentimes you would think that, well, there's synergy that comes with those decisions. Everyone knows that. Not necessarily. There's people who disagree with putting college courses in a high school curriculum. True. There will be people who argue that's not our niche. That's not our role. And I would disagree. I think there's a there's um, a very strong synergy when colleges and high schools work together to prepare uh, upcoming college students. And not everyone will agree with that. But that's where leadership needs to be bold. Uh, but you also have to, to be able to articulate the why in bringing people along with you. You can't just be out on an island as a president with all these great ideas. You have to be able to get people behind you. You have to work with faculty. You have to work with staff. But you have to also change the systems because our, I think our, our data is very clear in the California community college systems is that our systems haven't worked in terms of maximizing the number of graduates we prepare with degrees, certificates, and credentials. So there's 30 years worth of California community college data that shows our success rates are lower than they should be. So what that tells us is that the systems are not working. So we have to deconstruct and reconstruct those systems that better serve our communities. And we have to do it boldly uh, we have to be able to take on the challenges. We have to be able to take on the kickback, but understanding who we're serving, why we're serving, and how it contributes to our communities and our country is critical now more than ever. So succession planning, um, I spent a lot of time investing in the leaders that I see having potential for college presidents. I actually have about five mentees that I mentor right now from throughout the country. Yes. And what's interesting is, um, you know, this is just my perspective, but I think as one of the rare Latino males who are serving in these CEO roles, people tend to gravitate to wanting to know, from my perspective, how can I be a college president like you uh, one day? And so, um, so there's a lot, a lot of responsibility of, and a lot of responsibility. Yeah. It really is. And so, um, and then there's times where it can feel heavy. Because, you know, you're, you're leading, I'm leading an institution that has 1,400 employees. Um, our economic impact is about $200 million per year. Wow. So from a business perspective, there's a lot of things that are flowing, but people also want a connection and, and they want a pathway. And so I, I understand that that's a part of my role as well. And I take it very seriously. 100%. I love that. Bold leadership. We talk a lot about that too on the podcast. We have a lot of bold leaders. Um, and uh, I, I think you're right, right? Higher ed is in this really weird spot where you sometimes, don't you remember, Mark, that one time you made a decision where 100% of everybody was on board with it? Yeah. I don't remember mine, but maybe you yeah. remember yours. <laughs> even if you buy donuts for everybody, somebody's got a gluten allergy, it doesn't like jelly. Um, That's right. So sometimes you just got to do what you were put in the role to do, which is to make the best decision for students and if you make put students first, always everything else hopefully falls into place, right? That's exactly right. And, you know, keeping the community that we serve at the center of everything that we do. Um, but again, there's not always agreement on how we do that. And so um, dialogue, spending a lot of time with people, 
listening, being a good listener. Yeah. But at the end of the day, when all of that process has been complete, the leader has to make the decision based on the full gamut of information they have. And, and sometimes there's not a 100% right decision. Most of the time there's not. So you have to take the decision that you have to make that's going to have the best impact, the most impact, and really focus on that um, in terms of leading the institution. It's working. Our enrollment um, at the midst of the pandemic was about 15,000 headcount students. Currently, we're at about 17,005 and growing. Excellent. And to be at the highest headcount we've ever experienced as a district is just over 19,000. So we are closing in on uh, the highest enrollment we've ever seen at this college. And so, and I, and I truly believe we will be there either by the fall or spring semester. So, so I always look at the data to see that if what we're implementing is actually yielding the outcomes um, that we're projecting. And in this case, I can take it to the campus community and say, we're, we're achieving what we've set out to do. We just have to continue to be progressive. And I think circling back around to, to your constituents, around decisions that have been made is an important leadership dynamic also. And I think it's one that helps build trust because if they see that what we're implementing is yielding the achieved, the, the desired results, it's easier for them to get behind you, even if they don't necessarily agree, agree with the decision. All right, well, that was impressive. I love it. Well, we, we like to ask the same two questions of our guests to end every episode. Number one, Mark, open, well, it's not really a question, open mic. Um, anything about Southwestern College or the district that you want to talk about, anything going on, anything new, anything you want to say, employees you want to call out, anything at all. I'm just putting thoughts in your mind. You can do what you want. The, the microphone literally is yours. And number two is you kind of calm down on that excitement. Tell us what you see for the future of higher education. Yes. Um, so Southwestern is a beautiful college. We have faculty, staff, and administrators who really care about service to our community. There's a genuine love for the work that we do in service to our community. So I love that about Southwestern College. There's a lot of pride. Beautiful. You can see the Jaguar mascot behind me. Yes. There's a lot of pride in our identity and our history of serving the South County of San Diego. And um, I just love being here. It's a beautiful city. It's a beautiful community. And we have a tremendous opportunity to reimagine higher education like we've never done. And we are. We have initiatives, like I mentioned, around student housing. We've never had student housing on our campus before, and now we're at the cusp of having student housing. Amazing. We're working with our university partners, um, San Diego State University, University of California, San Diego, National University, and Point Loma Nazarene University to offer bachelor degree programs on our Chula Vista campus. So really providing access to bachelor degrees as well on our campus without a student ever having to leave this campus is critical. We also uh, have an assembly bill, Assembly Bill 91, which is going through the California State Legislature right now, that will allow our binational students to enroll at Southwestern College for the in-state tuition rate. So they will not have to pay international student fees. I truly believe that assembly bill will be, will be approved in May of this year. Unbelievable. And, and so what's important about that legislation is, one, we're not giving the students anything. We're simply allowing them to pay in-state tuition rate, which many of them were 
San Diego County residents until the cost of living forced them to move to the other side of the border. So that's going to be a game changer in terms of improving access to our binational community. And there's just so many awesome initiatives. We have food pantries, we have mental health counselors, we have, um, we're have we a, a military-friendly school as designated by the Department of the Military. Because we're in San Diego County, we have a huge Navy Marine yeah, operation. So we take, we take serving our veterans very seriously and creating that pathway for our veteran students to enroll here and to be successful in their college education um, is something that we do very, very well. And we've been recognized for that work. So I just, I love everything about what we're doing here at Southwestern College. And I couldn't be more proud of our people who work here to serve our community. The second part of that question is, what do I see the future of education? I really feel people will, will, will be in tune with um, how a, a, a higher education improves their lives, not only through, through the career options that they have, but also just through the learning that comes with a college education, learning about themselves, learning about literature, learning about the arts, learning about history, learning about all those things that really drive a human being's natural curiosity and how it creates a more wholesome and um, uh, thoughtful person through, through that higher education. I think people will understand that and continue to see the value in the work and, and the mission that we provide here at Southwestern College. Wow, Mark, what a, what a great honor to have you on this podcast, doing the work that you're doing. I love it when I have somebody on that's facing something that 99% of the rest of popu the population is not facing. That Those wrinkles that you have with the different students and the geography and the border and San Diego and the military and the cost of living differentials that exist. You're dealing with a multitude of issues and I'm glad we could provide a platform to talk about your good work. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen, here he is. He is the one and only Dr. Mark Sanchez, the superintendent <laughs> president at Southwestern Community College District. Mark, we hope you had a good time on the podcast today, even though you had to listen to me bloviate for a while. I love it. I loved it. Thank you, Dr. Joe. It was great to, to be with you this morning. All right. Thank you for being here. Ladies and gentlemen, you've just ed upped. Are you ready to jam? Oh, yeah. At Genza Bar Jam 2023 in Orlando, Florida, May 31st through June 3rd for four days of breakout sessions, peer-led discussions, countless hours networking with your peers and the Genza Bar team, social events, meals, everything. Come down, learn from each other, network it's time to get together and you can do that at jenzabar jam register now at jam.jenzabar.com oh yeah experience element 451's engage summit conference this june and get ready to unleash the power of ai and higher ed marketing deep dive into how this emerging tech will revolutionize the education landscape from personalized student engagement to turbocharging your marketing efforts with ai these sessions are guaranteed to help you smash your enrollment goals, connect with like-minded professionals, explore cutting-edge edtech products and services, and leave with the knowledge to supercharge your institution's growth. Don't wait. Register now at engage.element451.com and seize your chance to lead the pack in the AI-driven education revolution. Use promo code EDUP50 for $50 off your registration.